So Pastor Campbell's been doing a series on, I believe it was True Christianity. I don't know the name he gave to it. I didn't have his notebook there in the office. But on True Christianity, pretty much the church world is flipping out. There's no clear cut what is and what ain't. That's what it's all about. So I believe that this is a great need for the study in the church world because it's put such a stain on Christianity where in the church world anything is starting to go now. And so there has to be a clear-cut right or clear-cut wrong. Can you say amen? People all be able to know what a Christian is and what a Christian is not. And so there are marks that marks people who are saved. And so I believe one of the greatest marks of the coming of the end is going to be coming the, uh, the lost clear-cut of Christianity. Just the other day I was down in um, Virginia and I was there preaching revival. I came back over to the hotel after service, um, turn the television on, and they're having this debate. And this big debate that they were having was over this new movie that came out called Broke Back Mountain. Broke Butt Mountain. <laughs> and so they're having this big debate, and they got this preacher on there. And it's amazing to me because this preacher, he's having it out with the people. He's having it out even with one of the guys who was there in that movie. And it's amazing because... They asked that preacher, they were like, well, are you judging them? Are you judging this? Thank God that someone can rise up. He said, that's right, I'm judging this. This is wrong. And so then they begin to ask this other guy on the other side. He's like, well, I know God. You know, I used to be Catholic, you know. He goes, then I went from that, I went to Buddhist, and I went to something else. He says, so, he says, we all find God in different ways, and we serve God our different ways. I want to tell you, there's only one way through Jesus Christ. Can you say Amen. That's through his son and true repentance and true conversion. And so people do not understand what true conversion is. So I want to do um, one part on the seal of, of a Christian or the seal of Christianity, the seal of Christianity. I know, remember the first week Pastor Campbell threw it in there about being sealed. So I want to do one series on the seal of Christianity. So I want to give out some scriptures this morning. If someone take them real quick. First, if somebody could take John chapter 3, Israel, John chapter 3, take one down through 10, one down through 10. And then also I want to give out 2 Corinthians, who will take that 2 Corinthians, Rob Michael, 2 Corinthians, chapter 1, verse 21 through 22. Then uh, someone will take Ezekiel for me. Philip cast Ezekiel, chapter 9, verse 1 through 6. And then I need another one who will take 1 Peter. James will ask me, 1 Peter, Chapter 4, 17 through 18. I want to give those out. Daniel, chapter 6. We'll take Daniel. Brad Jones, Daniel, chapter 6, 16 through 17. And then also Esther. We'll take that Esther. Who else? And going up everywhere, ain't they? Esther. It's in the Bible, I promise you. Okay. Jason Schultz. Esther, chapter 8, verse 8. So I want to talk about this this morning because we are talking about Christianity. And if you're going to be a Christian, there are marks. And I do believe that there are marks in Christianity, but I also believe that there are things that God is looking for. And God will also mark his people. Can you say amen? He will mark you. He will seal you. So we want to start this off. John chapter 3. Go ahead. Take that and read that on Israel. There was a man, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher from God, 
for no man can do the miracles that thou dost, except God be with him. Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a man be born of water and of spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I say unto you, you must be born again. The, blow, the, wind, blow, blows where it the wind blows where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell where it cometh and where it, where it goeth. So is everyone that is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus answered and said unto him, How can these things be? Okay, Jesus, that's it, Israel. How can these things be? So that's what we're launching off this series on John chapter 3. And you know the story, this whole dilemma between him and Nicodemus. He's telling Nicodemus, Nicodemus, unless a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. He begins to go down and tell him that which is born of water, water that which is born of flesh and the spirit. And he's telling them there are changes in people's life when they're born again. And so the problem that we're having in this day and this hour is people are professing that they're Christians. People are shouting and saying, I believe in Jesus. I'm a Christian. I believe in God. But the problem is there's no change. And what's sad is happening inside the church. And the church is supposed to be the example. The church is supposed to be the lighthouse where everybody should be able to look to and say, hey, this is what a Christian is like. And what's happening in this day and this hour is that people are actually coming to church and looking at the church and people that are claiming to be saved and they can't tell the difference between the church and the world. And there should be a difference between a Christian and someone who's not saved. Can you say amen? I understand the whole thing, the grace and the mercy, and it takes time. I understand those things. But somewhere down the road, I want to tell you something. There should be an evident conversion that someone has left their old lifestyle behind and they're going on for Jesus Christ. Can you say amen? There has to be a difference. And you see this happening all across the church world where everything is going. And kind of what's so sad, you know, thinking about this in, in John chapter 3, is that birth, it is critical. Listen. Birth is critical. And back, at, back in Bible days, they didn't have, like you and I have nurses, they had midwives. And so we understand that that midwife, when she was helping to deliver that baby, whatever she did at that time of birth, it was critical that she would do the best she could do to do everything and make everything go smooth and do everything right. If there was any mistakes that were done in the preliminary stages of birth with that child, it would affect that baby the duration of his growing up life. Something had been wrong, turned wrong, cut wrong. I want to say it would have affected the baby's growth. And so what's happening, what you're seeing today, is you are seeing people that are coming to church. And they're, they'll answer the altar call and then they'll actually get saved. But what's happened, either somewhere along the way, someone tried to bring them into the kingdom of God and they gave them a bad birth. Can you say amen? And this is what you're dealing with a lot of times. Even in ourselves, we'll people will come in here and they'll hear the preaching and they'll say, man, we've never heard it like that. We're doing nothing more than preaching the gospel. Can you say amen? amen? And they walked in thinking they were saved, and they came and they got saved. And that tells you that somewhere along the way, someone had possibly tried to introduce to them the gospel. Someone tried to bring them, to birth them into the kingdom of God. And when they birth them in the early stages, they put some bad things in there. Can you say amen? And it has affected Christianity. It has affected the church world where they think everything goes. Can you say Amen. So there are some things that do not go if you're a Christian. There should be some evident marks that you're saved, you're blood washed by Jesus Christ. 
So I want to talk about this because I, should, I believe there should be a mark. I believe there should be a seal that separates us from the rest. And so I want to talk about the seal of Christianity. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 21 through 22. Who will take that? Now he who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us is God, who also has sealed us and given us the spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. So there are three things that Paul is saying will happen. One thing, God, he will establish you. One thing later on, there'll be an anointing that will come. God will anoint you. But listen to me. This is the weight of it. He said he's going to seal you. He said he will seal us in our hearts as a guarantee. And if you don't know where this all comes out of, these seals, we today in business or sometimes in signing documents, we ourselves, we use seals. And the reason why we use these seals is to authenticate that document. That means that no one else, there can't be a forfeit. This seal belongs to this individual. So something that we want it to be known, and we want to hold the rights to it, so no one else can either copy or steal this, we have the right to put a seal or to authenticate that. I want to tell you something. When someone gets saved and they say, I have given my life to Jesus Christ, there should be something of a marking. There should be a seal that Jesus Christ has touched you. Can you say amen? Because what this seal also does spiritually, it gives God in heaven a guarantee that that belongs to him. That is his seal. That is his marking. That is his work. And then he can call you one of his children. Can you say amen? There should be a marking and there should be a seal. Example, we use also seals for documents. And so I believe there should be a marking. There should be an evidence there. Ezekiel chapter 9, verse 1 through 6. He cried also in my ears with a loud voice, saying, Cause them that have charge over the city to draw near, even every man with his destroying weapon in his hand. And behold, six men came from the way of the higher gate, which lieth toward the north, and every man a slaughter weapon in his hand. And one man among them was clothed with linen and a writer's inkhorn by his side. And they went in and stood beside the brazen altar, and the glory of God of Israel was gone up from the cherub, whereupon he was in the threshold of the house, and he called to the man clothed with linen, which had written inkhorn by his side. And the Lord said unto him, Go through the midst of the city, through the midst of Jerusalem, and set a mark upon the foreheads of the men that sigh and that cry for all the abominations that be done in the midst thereof. And to the others he said in mine hearing, Go ye after... Go ye after him through the city and smite. Let not your eyes spare, neither have ye pity. Slay utterly old and young, both maids and little children and women. But come not near any man upon whom in the mar is the mark, and begin at my sanctuary. Then they began at the ancient men which were before the house. Now think about that for just a moment. No doubt it's talking about feeling how God feels about sin. But probably one of the most interesting things in that whole scripture that he read was how God says, and says, listen to me, he says, when you mark the foreheads of these, he said, I want you to go and bring judgment. He says, he says, but don't touch the ones, he says, who have that mark. I want to tell you something. God knows who belongs to him and who does not. There's something, there's a seal, there's a stamp. God knows. But listen to what he says, because I believe this is where the major problem is happening in America today it is a church. And listen to what he says in Ezekiel. 
He says, begin in my sanctuary. Now, it's amazing because he's saying, look, I've marked the foreheads of those. He said, you're going to go through the city. You're going to slay people. You're going to destroy what is unrighteous. But it's amazing how God tells him, he says, listen to me, don't be so much concerned yet about what's happening out there. He says, there's something more important where you got to start. He says, in the first place that I want you to start, he said, I want you to go into the house of God. I want you to go into my sanctuary because there are people inside the church that are not right with God. There are people inside the house of God that do not have the marking. There are people inside the church that do not have the steel People in the house of God that do not have the stamp that authenticate them and make them a real Christian. And I do believe this is where the major breakdown is happening today in society all across the church world. There's a problem that is happening inside the church. You've heard me say this time and time again. I'm so thankful for a fellowship that will preach the gospel. I'm so thankful for a fellowship that will just tell it just like it is and not hold anything back. Because I want to tell you something. Had I not heard it that way, God only knows where I'd be today. And I believe that God brings people where they need to be to hear it just like it is. Imagine where you would be in this day and this hour if you've not heard the truth. I've heard people come to me and they said, Pastor Ortiz, you know, I've been in church for years. And all this time I thought I was living right. All this time I thought I was saved. I'm sitting there thinking, hey, I can live any way, do what I want to do. But it wasn't until God brought us into the fellowship that we heard the preaching of the gospel. It was clear, cut direction, and I found out I wasn't saved. Now, that's sad to me that you've got churches on every corner. You can't even drive down some streets without counting church after church after church. It makes you wonder, what in the world are they preaching? What in the world are they talking about? And I believe that's why God's going to have such a heavy weight in the time of judgment you can best believe and rest assured judgment going to start in the house of God. He'll know who is and who ain't. George Rose. Um, you know, my wife, she could not believe across the pulpit they preached against playboys and pornography and, and, and all this kind of stuff and preached against sin. She said, and she'd been in church her whole life. She said, I'd never heard that kind of preaching. And it made her heart leap within her because she said she knew sin was wrong. You know, so, you know, the fact is you're hearing over the pulpit is an indication that you got the real thing, that the mark is on it. And so let me ask you a question. I mean, if the Bible says it clear and when men of God preach the gospel, it's, it's in here and it's clear. Why do you think then today that it's not being told like it is? What's, what do you think? I mean, wh why today then not? Are they not telling it like it is and preaching? Because this is critical because there should be a mark of a Christian. There should be a seal. There should be a stamping. Something that should separate them from the rest of the world. Why is it in this day and this hour, Ron? I think a lot of it is because of a reproach. They're afraid of the reproach. They, they think they can bring people into the church and just win them easily into the kingdom when, it's, when in actuality it's actually a violent thing. Yep. And so listen, many times back in Bible days, you've heard this before probably. What they would do is they primarily, they had a ring. And this ring was called a signet ring. And what they would do with the signet ring, they would have any document they would have, and they would actually take that signet ring that was on the hand of the king, and he would put it on that stamp, or he would stamp and he would seal it. That would say simply, listen to me, that's my seal, that is my mark. And for those that are coming in, 
I'm talking about the seal of Christianity, that I do believe that when a man or a woman gets saved, I understand grace and mercy, all those things, but I do believe that there should be a mark of what a Christian is and what a Christian is not. It should be clear what Christians do and what Christians do not do. Remember, I was earlier telling you about Brokeback Mountain. So so what happened was this guy asked the preacher on television, you know what he asked him? He goes, preacher, I think that you're judging this wrong. He goes, so he asked the preacher, he said, preacher, he says, have you ever seen Brokeback Mountain yourself? He goes, and the preacher said, absolutely not. He goes, so hold on. He says, then how can you be judging this film? How can you be saying that Brokeback Mountain is a sin against God and that God's going to judge people? How can you say that? And listen to what he said. I mean, it's so simple, but yet so powerful. He goes, he said, there's just some things Christians know they should not do. He said, there's just some things Christians know they have absolutely no right to give their eyes to, absolutely have no right to what he said. That's just part of being a Christian. He is saying, listen to me, when you get saved and there is a stamp and there is a seal that Jesus Christ, the son of the living God, has saved you. There are markings now that mark you as a Christian. People can say, look, he's a believer. He believes in Jesus Christ. His life reflects it. He's sealed. He's been with him. So they would do this back in Bible days. And so the ring would have a special design. And this ring with a special design was for that individual. No one else had this, this, uh, this insignia on that ring. Each king had his own ring, had his own symbol. And I want to tell you something. Jesus Christ has got his own. He knows who is and who ain't. I really believe when someone gets saved, There's a stamping, there's a seal. God says, listen to me, they belong to me. There's a right and there's a wrong in Christianity. And the church world has downplayed that. Who's got Daniel chapter 6, 16 through 17? So the king gave the command and they brought Daniel and cast him into the lion's den. But the king spoke, saying to Daniel, your God whom you serve continually, he will deliver you. Then a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet ring and with the signet of his lords, that the purpose concerning Daniel might not be changed. So there it is again, the seal. Esther 8, 8, the signet ring. Who has Esther 8, 8? Jason Schultz. You yourselves write a decree concerning the Jews, as you please, in the king's name, and seal it with the king's signet ring, for whatever is written in the king's name and sealed with the king's signet ring, no one can revoke. So let me ask you, what, what are some of the things, some of you might have come out of it yourself or might know, what are some things that, that are happening today in the lives of people with bad birth, bad beginnings, and have really messed people up in this day and this day? What's some things, maybe you've come out of it yourself, maybe you can testify and say, look, I thought this and I realize that to serve in Jesus Christ, you can't be a Christian and do those things. Anyone here this morning? What's some things that have horribly... <clears throat> Benny? I went to a church once that, that they preached on sin, actually. And, uh, but what they were lacking was the doctrine or the belief in the Holy Spirit being today. Mm-hmm. And so there was no power to live for God. You knew and you were convicted. There's nothing you could do. Right. So. You've got to have the Holy Ghost. You can't throw it out. 
I'm even thinking about tonight maybe preaching on the Holy Ghost. So if you know a newcomer, bring them in, get them filled. Rob, go ahead. Rob Michaels. Uh, we talked in the Bible study last, or uh, yeah, two nights, Friday night, about how, um, excuse me, uh, hell needs to be preached in these churches. When I got saved, uh, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of understanding. We talked about that. And the absence of preaching on hell, uh, there's, there's not a, a, a godly fear sometimes. When I got saved, it wasn't necessarily that, oh, I'm just, I just want to strive to go to heaven, but I, I don't want to end up in hell. And not preaching on hell, there's an absence of fear, and that absence of fear of God, it's something that you're not going to maybe understanding. Maybe that's a little off, but that's what I needed to hear. We need to hear about hell and know about it. Yeah. And I believe if, if people, even the church, not just preachers, I believe if people themselves would witness and testify, and when you witness, tell the truth. I'm not talking about being obnoxious because folks can be obnoxious. How many know that? Witness and tell the truth. I'm not talking about, you know, acting crazy, not having given someone an opportunity. But when you have an opportunity presented to you and they're asking you questions, that's your time to tell the truth right there. You know, because it was sad to me that um, <clears throat> I remember knocking on her door and witnessing to a girl. And as I'm witnessing to her, you know, she's nodding her head, yes, and, you know, that means I agree, I agree, you know, you're right, you know. So it almost gives you that sense of, man, they're saved, you know. Have you ever witnessed somebody like that? And, they're, and they're, sometimes they'll say, amen, you know, I know, being born again. And, you know, sometimes that can throw people off when they're witnessing on the street, and they'll be like, well, I'm not going to bother and talk with them because they got it. But listen to me, you'd be surprised how many don't really have it. And so I remember I'm sitting there talking to her and telling her, you know, about Jesus. So then she jumps in. She goes, yep, you're absolutely right. I go to this wonderful church, you know, I got saved. And she goes, yeah, I just got baptized. And, you know, God is wonderful. And so, you know, I'm like, praise God. And so while she's talking to me, I see somebody coming from behind her. And it's her boyfriend. And so she tells me that. She goes, she goes oh, she tells her boyfriend, oh, so this guy is here, he's witnessing, oh, this is my boyfriend. Now, um, from, from where did he come? And so what happened was, I didn't want to be obnoxious, but I had the opportunity. I said, listen to me. I said, I don't know what they're preaching to you or what they're telling you. I said, but I want to tell you what the Bible says. The Bible talks about fornication. The Bible talks about having sex outside of marriage. And I said, in the way you're living, I said, that's not right in the eyes of God. I said, if you, God were to come back right now, I said, heaven would not be your home. She's like, no, no way. She said, I talked to my pastor about this, and I asked him, and he told me, well, as long as y'all are going to get married, and you're not messing with everybody else, it's just you and him, then it'll be all right. And so this is what I'm talking about. You're talking about people. You know, Jesus having this whole discussion with, John, with um, Nicodemus, and he's talking about birth, about being born. And so this young lady is a prime example of what I'm talking about is that while she's trying to get to Jesus, while she's trying to have a relationship with God, she's trying to be born into the kingdom of God, she's having a bad birth, having a bad beginning. And so now here she is thinking everything's all right. And so if she keeps going the way she's going, this, what she had in her beginning stages, her beginning birth will affect all the days now of her life. And so now I've come to the conclusion when you deal with some of these people, I'm like, you know what, God? It's like they've got to get unsaved that they can get saved. 
because the salvation they got does not separate them from the world. God's got to help us in this hour that we're living in. There should be a marking. There should be a seal. Valerie, and then station. When I uh, first got saved, it was kind of crazy. I had this couple follow up on me, and he used to beat his wife, and she was like, can you lie for me to my husband about, um, I, I guess she bought some type of garment <coughs> at the mall, and she's like, can you lie for me? And I'm like, here I am, a baby Christian, you know? Mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> got powerfully saved. My sister witnessed to me, and she sends me to this church, and I'm like, I, I can't believe it. I'm like, oh, my gosh, is this, what's going on? <laughs> But I don't know, for some odd reason, God's like, no, you don't do that. You know, like, even though I was just barely saved, I knew in my heart that what they were doing was wrong. But I, I still, no matter what, I got saved and it didn't matter. You know, I still fell in love with Jesus. Yeah, there's got to be a, a right and a wrong. Listen to me. The church cannot afford to sink by letting, listen to me, the world infiltrate inside the church. There has to be a difference. And I thank God, like I say time and time again for our fellowship, that people can walk in through them doors and they can see a difference. And they can know, listen to me, this is what it is being saved. And so just to add to that, how critical it is to keep your testimony. How critical it is to keep your testimony that when you do get saved. And don't misunderstand me. God is a redemptive God. I'm going to preach this morning on salvation and God's grace and mercy to draw the souls of men unto him. But I am just saying, you've got to also remember that your testimony is critical and vital. Maybe you've messed up, made some mistake. Thank God. God didn't remember those things. He's not a God of the past. He's the God of the future. Can you say amen? But preserve and hold your testimony. Stacey, you were going to say something. Um, I think a big thing with the church world, too, is, is they're really confused on what love is. Um, a lot of my family, they, they say, you know, they're a church of love, and, and we are very judgmental, and we don't love people, and, mm -hmm. you know, all this and they don't think that loving is confronting the truth, you know, and, and um, saying what's right and what's wrong. They say that's not love, that's judging. Well, um, I was with a particular member of my family, and we're walking into the store, and um, there's a girl walking in front of us. She's dressed real provocatively, and, and um, the, my family member, I won't call her out, but she kind of taps me, and she says, hey, Stacia, remember when you used to dress like that? We were, when you came up and you were dressed like that, we're all laughing at you, and me and so-and-so um, were laughing and joking, and isn't that funny? And I looked at her, and I said, you know, that's not funny because I didn't know who Jesus was. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I said, it's really sad to me that you as a Christian, rather than telling me the truth, telling me that Jesus could change me and deliver me from that, you sat back and laughed. I said, I'm sorry, but I don't think that you know what love is because here you are telling me that my church judges it. But at least, what, to me, love is bringing the truth to somebody. You know, and, and that's what you expect from the world, to laugh at somebody when they're in sin and to laugh at them and, and to tell secrets. And to, but but in, as a Christian, I think you should stand up and tell them the truth, you know, who yep. Jesus is. Yep. And see, Tori, and the thing is, when you've been touched by Jesus, you know what I'm saying, things should begin to change. And so living in sin and claiming to be a Christian just don't work. It just don't fit. And so when you get saved, there should be some things and some markings that be changed. And you listen to me because I'm going to go into this in just a moment about the whole seal and the guarantee. Because there will come a day when the rapture comes. And how he's going to know who is and who ain't is going to be the seal. It's going to be the markings. It's going to be the lives that are right with God and not living in sin. And I know we're not perfect. The Bible says we've all have sinned. 
and falling short of the glory of God, we're scarcely saved. How many know we're barely going to make it ourselves by the grace of God? But I am saying is this one thing, when you continue to practice sin and live unrighteously and claim to be a Christian, I want to tell you something, you're putting a bad stain on the church, you're putting a bad stain on the testimony of Jesus Christ, because there should be a marking, there should be a difference. Tori, you're going to say something? I think uh, pretty much what everybody's saying is that for the most part, the church world has perverted the whole doctrine of grace. You know what I mean? And it's like the church world's made grace mean kind of like anything goes. God forgives you, you know. And so, I mean, and they've separated the whole justification of our sins being forgiven. Mm -hmm. And there's no line of sanctification. And anybody who reads the Bible knows that the justification goes and sanctification go hand in hand. Yep. If there's no holiness, there's no salvation. That's right. You know what I mean? And so the church world just makes the, the grace seem just like anything goes. There should be separate. Robert, and then I want to go into this real quick. As a, uh, on my job, uh, they know I stand for righteousness. And uh, when I got this one guy on my job, he's supposed to be a Christian. And a couple of weeks ago, he, we got into the issue. And then yesterday, he's, uh, Friday, he said, man, one thing we have is different issues. But one thing I can say, man, you're devout, you know, just like that. So these two black girls walked by, and he's like, sexy. And I'm like... You're married, man. I said, what are you doing? I said, what are you doing to talk about somebody, another woman, you know? And he says, what's wrong with that? Can't you look? I said, no. So then uh, I told him, I said, let me tell you something, dude. I says, don't tell me. I said, I don't even touch a woman that's not my wife, first of all, you know? I said, she's not my wife, I don't touch her. He said, show me that when that's in the Bible. I said, First Corinthians 7. I said, it's, not, it's good that a man do not touch a woman, you know? So then, uh, next thing you know, he comes on this. And I said, let me tell you something. I'm going to tell you, make, you make excuses. Every time I talk to you, you always talk about, you're judging me. You're judging me. Mm -hmm. I said, let me tell you something. Your religions. I said, religious people make excuses. I said, when you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, I said, you change. You no longer do what you want to do. I said, because God, the Holy Spirit convicts you and tells you not to do this, not to do that. I said, religious person like yourself. I said, you can continue to make excuses like that, and you're going to split hell wide open. Right. And so there is a right and there is a wrong. And when you get saved, there's markings. I want to go into this real quick. I want to give out some more scriptures. Who will take Ephesians 1.13 for me? Daphne, Ephesians 1.13. Ephesians, who will take Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30. Who will take Dave Schmidt, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30. You would take that. 2 Timothy, who will take 2 Timothy, Sherry, 2 Timothy 2.19, Nick Half, Titus chapter 2, 11 through 14 on that. Because like I'm talking about, there's a marking, there's a seal, there's a stamp, I told you about the signet ring, but I want to tell you, in, in the end, when the rapture comes, there should be a pickup, there should be a guarantee that you're going to make it to heaven. And God knows, again, who is and who is not. I want to talk about this. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13, if you would read that. In him you also trusted, after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Okay. Ephesians chapter 4, 30. Who had that, Sherry? No, who had that? Oh, sorry, Dave. 
And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you are sealed unto the day of redemption. I want to talk about that for just a moment. I don't know if you know, but <clears throat> many times when Paul would write to the people in Corinth or the church at Ephesus, he would use things or talk hidden ways and give them parallels where they would understand their times and relate it to the word of God. So I want to explain to you, I don't know if you know this or not, but in Ephesus, it was actually, there was an industrial city. The city of Ephesus was an industrial city. And what they had, they had a great deal of industrial trade in the city of Ephesus. And one of their greatest trades that they had was actually lumber trade. And so this is one of the major things that the city of Ephesus had was dealing with lumber, and they had a lumber trade. This was a big thing to them in that day, in that hour. And so what they would do back in that day is they would take these, they take the lumber, take these logs, and they would cut them. And what would happen was there were men of the trade and men who would purchase these logs as they would come downstream. And what happened was when they would come downstream, you, you know, you could have five or six men, however many it would be. And what happened was they would take ropes and they would tie numbers of logs together. And when they would tie these numbers of logs together, this is what they called a timber float. And what would happen was while this timber float was coming down, gently coming down the stream, each man that was there, he had an option to purchase this timber float. And what he would do, he'd look at it as it was coming by, and if he wanted it, what he would do, he would stamp it. And what he would do after he would stamp it, the only thing he would do at that time, he would only initially put down a down payment on the timber float. That's all he would do because he couldn't take it with him right there and then. And so what he did when the timber float went by, he goes, I want that one. They said, hold it. He would take his stamp that he had and he would stamp that timber float. This is what you're talking about now in Ephesians, for you have been sealed with the promise. So in other words, what they're saying, he's saying that when he stamped it, he's saying, I'm making a promise that I'm coming back for this. This belongs to me. And all I have done now is put a temporary down payment on this. He couldn't take it with him right there and then. So what he would do, time would pass. He would get whatever he needed, his equipment, to be able to come back later and get this timber float that he had put his down payment on. And what happened was when he would come back later and get this timber float, everyone else would come and also get their timber float. But the only way that he could identify which timber float was his was by his stamp, by his seal. And so it didn't matter how many men were there and the man said, no, that belongs to me. He would say, no, 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 hold on, because I put my seal, I put my stamp on that timber float. Let's see. And they would turn it around. He says, you're right, man. That matches you. That belongs to you. And he would give that to them. And so this is what I'm talking about, that there is going to come a day and there is going to come an hour for people who have genuinely said, I am saved, I am born again, I'm striving for Jesus Christ, I'm setting sin aside, I'm not practicing sin. Over 2,000 years ago, Jesus Christ was the down payment for that. He is your down payment, He is your seal, and there's a marking now upon your life. And so what's going to happen is, time is going to pass, generations are going to pass, 
and one day the rapture will come. And that means that that day when the rapture comes, a picture or an analogy, our lives, we are like that timber float. Can you say amen? And what happens is when God comes back, he'll be able to say, that belongs to me because a long time ago, I remember them at the altar. They bowed their knee. They gave their life to me. They put sin aside. I stamped them. I'm taking them with me. That belongs to me. That is your guarantee that you're going to be with him is a stamping and the marking, the seal. And when he was talking and writing to the church in Ephesus, he was trying to give them a parallel of life where they could understand the terminology of that day, that just the same thing that the auctioneers would do and the man would stamp and seal his timber flow, Jesus Christ does the lives of men and women. There is a marking, there is a seal. Go ahead, George. Anyone in this church can look at one of the cast kids and know that that's Ron and Kim Cass. You know, you know what I'm saying? My, I mean, my oldest boy, you definitely know he's mine and Jennifer's my wife. You know, I mean, they, they resemble us. And the thing is, when you're born into a family, there's, there, there are things about you that identify as being part of that family. That's right. My wife had, a, had a, her great, 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 great grandfather. We found a picture of him from uh, the Civil War. And one of her brothers had gotten a picture taken at Gettysburg you know, about 20 years ago, and you would have thought they were twins. We're talking about over 100 years separated, these two men, but there was something about that family trait that carried on that you could identify them as being related. And it's the same way with us. When we're born in the kingdom of God. God puts his image, his stamp on us, so people should be able to identify that we're from the kingdom and not from somebody else's family. That's right. You are, you are sealed, whether it's the seal of God or the seal of the world. You're sealed. Hell knows if you belong to hell too. Hell knows. Sees a seal. So, you know, this is the thing is, you know, you can portray that you're a Christian and you belong to Jesus. And so I want to tell you something. God knows and hell knows. And so I believe that one of the major difficulties we're having in this day and this hour is that there has become no outward demonstration of the power of God in changed lives. People who are professing to be Christians have done nothing more than saying they have God in their heart. But I want to say something. Whatever God does to a man on the inside, you can best believe, mark it down, there is a direct outward expression of God at work in their life. A long time ago, I um, preached a sermon about the ark, and I told you that when God told Noah to build the ark, he told Noah to put pitch inside the boat and outside of the boat. Remember when I talked about that, put pitch in and put pitch out. I talked to a gentleman who who builds boats. And when I asked him about that, he said, there there is no need to put pitch inside a boat and pitch outside of a boat. He said, pitch is that tarry substance that just holds the water, doesn't let it come in. It seals it. So when I studied this out again, that word pitch, it meant tarry substance. But that word pitch is in the Bible 70, 70 other times. And that word pitch means blood or atonement. And so what that means is that when God does something on the inside, he is faithful to finish it on the outside. Can you say amen? So I believe that the problem we're having in this day and this hour is that people are saying, I've got Jesus. But I want to say that if you're saying you have Jesus inside of your heart, it'll manifest itself on the outside too. There has to be an outward demonstration. 
people who come in on drugs or alcohol or addiction, smoking, doing different things. God changes them. They stop smoking. They stop doing crack. They stop doing drugs. They stop living that old lifestyle. Can you say amen? And I know I've heard all the excuses. I remember driving one time in Temple and someone had a sticker on the back of the car and it says, don't judge me. I'm not perfect. And they were smoking a cigarette. And basically what they were saying was, look, you're judging me if you're saying smoking is wrong. Listen to me. If Jesus Christ can set a crack addict free, what's a nicotine addict? Come on now. And so I can understand if we're living a day and an hour where the blood of Jesus Christ wasn't shed. But when there is blood available to you, that same blood, listen to me, that broke curse a long time ago, that same blood is still available to you and to me. It can still set you free right now. So that's why there is no excuse why people who are on drugs or alcohol or different types of things that they can't be set free because there is blood available for you. You can be free. And I believe that when God does a work in someone's life, it is not only internal. There is an outward demonstration of the power of God evitable for people to see. I believe it's there. So I want to real quick, I get ready to shut this off. Second Timothy 2.19, who has that? Nevertheless, the solid foundation of God stands, having this seal. The Lord knows those who are his, and that everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. Let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. Don't be naming the name of Christ if you're still trying to do what you want to do. Because you're bringing a stain to the testimony of Jesus Christ. Titus 2, 11 through 14, who had that? Real quick, we've got to close. It says, For the grace that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the, in the present age, looking for the, blessing, the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that, we might, that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. Amen. So you're living right, living holy. One last one, First Peter 1, 13 through 19. I believe I got that. Let me read it real quick. Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is brought to you in the revelation of Jesus Christ as obedient children, not conforming yourselves to the former lust as your ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Because it is written, be holy, for I am holy, and if you call on the Father who without, excuse me, partiality judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves throughout the time of your stay here in fear, knowing that, the, that you will not be redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from the aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Jesus Christ as a lamb without blemish and without spot. We can be effective. Can you say amen? We can be a testimony for Jesus Christ. And I'm telling you, in the hour that we're living in, people need to know what a Christian is and what a Christian is not. Are you listening to me? You can live it. So if God's touched you and sealed you, I do believe there is an outward demonstration of the power of God at work in your life. The Lord bless you. Amen. We're going to start here in about five, ten minutes.
is 